Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast, over and out. All right, what's up, everybody? Let me know what's going on. Hope you're all well. Let me know if I sound all right and can see me okay. I do not have the wonderful technical assistant that I usually have, Ben Williamson. Shout out to Ben. He's BDC Williamson on Twitter. Great chap. Very helpful. And however, I am not benefiting from his help today. So I will be managing the computer myself, but it's really not that hard. I have a PhD, bitches. I think I can handle this. Uh, I haven't done a live stream in, um, well, it's only been a week, but it's been a week and a couple of days, I guess. So it feels kind of like a long time. I'm happy to be back on the air, hanging out with all of you. I'm actually really pumped <laughs> to talk with Diana. Deanna Havis, I don't really know much about her story, but what I do know is that, you know, kind of just a little bit ago, getting ready for this live stream, I was uh, just kind of browsing her like internet trails and, there's not actually that much out there. It's hard to know exactly what her story is, but I, I learned about her through Nina Power and DC Miller. And I was looking through Luke Turner. It seems like he was one of the kind of major figures who really kind of attacked her online. And he, you know, Luke Turner, he does these long rap sheets of people where he'll like make a web page with a whole bunch of screenshots of, you know, their crimes. And I was looking through Deanna's and it's just hilarious. I, you know, it really kind of, uh, made me feel like this is the type of person I want to talk with and hang out with. So yeah, I think she's, my understanding is that she's a young artist and kind of came up in the art world and then had this kind of pretty epic cancellation. I think we'll hear from her exactly how it went down, but I think it was largely at the hands of Luke Turner. And I think it was like pretty, pretty destructive for her. I'm not sure, but um, as I said, we'll, we'll learn from her. That's about all I really know. Uh, and that when I look through her work, she seems to be really funny. She seems to be kind of relatively comfortable kind of joking in the kind of frog Twitter style. And I, it appears that she has some, you know, beef with contemporary kind of social justice culture uh, on some level, I guess. And so it'll be interesting to really kind of pick her brain and see what kind of see what her politics are really like and see what her story was like. And the reason this live stream is entitled cancellations and comebacks is because I was chatting with her before this. And from what she says, she's working on a major comeback from, from her cancellation experience. So I'm very happy to hear that. I'm always happy to hear people bouncing back and, you know, not letting the motherfuckers keep you down. So, uh, yeah, I am really, uh, intrigued by her case and I'm looking forward to meeting her. She's going to be a little bit late, which is fine. I told her uh, she could take her time. I have plenty of interesting stuff to talk about. I've been very busy with um, many interesting things, so won't be any problem filling filling the air and entertaining and uh, edifying you all in the meantime. In fact, it, you know, some of you might be interested to learn that 
Deanna, right before we were supposed to start, she said, oh, is there a webcam aspect to this? And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, part of the game of doing a live stream. And she was like, oh, crap, that means I have to go shower. I'm 30 and single. So I don't know. It sounds like, you know, she's, uh, you know, I don't want to say available, but, you know, she's a young woman who is, um, you know, it sounds like interested in meeting people. So just throwing that out there. I don't know. Uh I will have her on. I just got an email from her. She'll be on at 15 minutes after the top of the hour. So about 10 minutes from now. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm just going to respond here real quick. So what I have been working on I, over the past week, I've really had my head down and you might've noticed I haven't tweeted that much in the past few days. I have been relatively quiet for, you know, a few days, which for me, is like, you know, uh, quite an absence from the internet. But what I have been working on is something that I am now starting to slowly share with people. And I'm super excited about it. This is something that I've been toying with for a very long time. And a lot of my experiments have been slowly converging towards this, I think, for quite some time. And what I'm doing is I am now making a serious and concerted effort to create a space, a private space that is non-toxic and supportive and productive and encouraging for all of the numerous weird, wacky, independent intellectuals out there on the internet. There are a lot of people like me who are essentially using the internet as their primary vehicle for intellectual development and creative intellectual ex expression and advancement. And there are, you know, it's increasingly clear that there are at least hundreds, if not thousands of people who are really smart, really interesting, but they're just a little weird or they're, or they're really creative or they're, they just don't like institutions or whatever the case might be, who are doing really interesting and impressive things on the internet, whether it's be, whether that be blogging or making videos or podcasts or whatever. There are a lot of people who are super smart. You know, they are proper intellectuals. They just don't have institutional affiliations. And so there's not really like a shared identity or shared network for all of these people to, first of all, meet each other. And second of all, kind of benefit from each other's experiences and knowledge. And so I am now taking it upon myself to essentially build that because over the past year or two, I think, I guess, you know, more or less accidentally, I have found myself at what is probably the epicenter of the weird intellectual internet because I talk with people on the left and the right. And just most people don't do that. I'm not really like a subcultural identity player. Like I don't really have a particular group. I just am, you know, myself and I'm weird and I'm very brainy and I just am interested in my philosophies and scientific research. And that's just what I do. And I don't really, I've never really been like a team or group type of person. I am now like really, you know, well poised essentially to, I have my finger on the pulse of many different subcultures. And a lot of people now are coming to me and talking to me and asking me for advice or asking me to connect them with other people or whatever. I just, I'm at the epicenter of all of these 
really interesting, impressive, but weird, independent intellectuals floating around the internet. So what I've been doing over the past few months is I've just been literally, every time I find one, I've been adding them to a spreadsheet and I've been formalizing my my network and my awareness or my radar of all of the weird, interesting, independent intellectuals out there. And I've already been talking with a lot. I'm already kind of friendly with a lot of these people online. I already have a seminar, a monthly seminar. Uh, some, it's something like between 10 and 20 people at any given month. Uh, throw me about 25 bucks a month to basically just do like a, a long focused small group seminar session, something like you would get out of a graduate seminar, which I've taught before. So, I, you know, I have the experience necessary to kind of facilitate that sort of thing. So that's already going. That's one kind of vector of experimentation I've been doing over the past year, which is kind of leading up to this. And then also I have been, you know, I have this Discord server, which I've been growing for some time and I've been very careful about it. I have some filters. There's an like entrance survey, which is fairly time consuming. So it kind of keeps out a lot of the low effort trolley types of internet lurkers and so the, my discord server is relatively high quality interesting place so there's a lot of really smart brainy weird people on there and there's some really like fascinating uh discussion it's also quite a it's a there's a regular community that's pretty active on the discord so i'm pretty pleased with that and that'll always stay free and open uh to anyone who's interested but it's very very chaotic and it's all, all over the place and it's you know uh very high variance, let's say, in its kind of quality and 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 value, perhaps we could say. Uh, and so that's another kind of vector of experimentation I've been on for the past uh, year or two. And it's been, so it's been really cool. But what I want to do now really is create something higher value, something more private and focused and special for those of us who are getting more and more serious about uh, strategizing and being more productive and being more successful in terms of our impact and having reach and and public kind of intellectual impact really, and also growing our incomes and becoming financially sustainable with these various intellectual projects that people are now conducting on the internet. So this will be, I don't want it to sound like elitist. It's more just that there are only a small number of people who are really kind of serious about their intellectual work and really focused on trying to be more productive and increasing their impact and are really dedicated to that type of project. Uh, and that's not to belittle anyone else. Some people just aren't interested in that, but there's, you know, a good number of us, I think at least a few hundred people who are really smart, really capable and really committed to building out serious long-term intellectual lives and projects on through the internet without any institutional affiliation or support. And because of the, you know, radical independence and freedom that that gives us. So I think, the time has come for someone to try to really invest themselves and and give a lot of effort to creating this kind of uh, a, creating a culture, creating a unified space, just a kind of supportive uh, community in which these types of people can share best practices, keep each other posted on things, find collaborators. And I have a few other possible kind of features or or benefits that I think this type of project could facilitate. But I'm going to kind of start small and grow this out over time. So I'm now happy to say that today, in fact, is the first day that there is a public website available. It is very limited. Uh, it, it is You can find it at the URL indiethinkers.org. Booyah. There's a link in the description, but that's nice and short and sweet. I wanted something that was just unpretentious, 
simple, gets the point across. Indie thinkers, that's what we are. That's what I am. That's what you know. a lot of other people are figuring out how to do right now, but it's not really formalized as a thing. It's not really a self-conscious or self-aware uh, culture yet, but one of my missions is to make that and to support that and, and facilitate that. So indiethinkers.org, that's just the landing page right now. There's n- almost nothing on it. Uh, it will be a private community and it will, by the way, it will in one way or another be a paid community. If only because frankly, folks, you got to keep out the riffraff. Uh, there are a lot of smart people out there, but there are also a lot of jokers and trolls. And one quick thing I'll say before Diana joins us uh, for Deanna, sorry, joins us in just a minute is that um, we've all been in different types of intellectual communities, whether it be like private DMS or, um, you know, Oh, someone says that the, uh, that it's offline. No, if you do indiethinkers.org, it's on, there's a description below. Maybe I gave the wrong link below. I'll double check it, but, uh, whatever we've all been in private DMS and Facebook groups and discords and stuff like that. And Slack channels, you know, these, a lot of people are hanging out in these private communities right now for, you know, intellectual discussion, but every single one that I've been in, and I've been in many of them very rapidly, they just become toxic. I hate to say it, but it becomes resentful naysayers. It's mostly people kind of talking shit about the out group. The the chat becomes the in group. And then everyone outside doing anything interesting becomes, you know, the butt of jokes. And especially if people are successful, like um, I, I hate to say that, but if there's someone really making moves and being successful with some sort of creative, independent intellectual project, those people uh, often get the most kind of resentful antagonism and hatred from the other supposed intellectuals in these private communities that are currently floating around. So I'm going to try to solve that problem and create an actual positive, high value kind of community for serious independent intellectuals. Yeah, it's indiethinkers.org. All right. I put the uh, I put the URL in the chat just now. Some people were saying they were having a hard time finding it. Indiethinkers.org. That's all there is to it. And uh, yeah, it is just a landing page. I'm building it out slowly, but uh, there is a little link there to request an invitation if this describes you, if you're an indie thinker and this is something that you're interested in. So enough about that. I will uh, now going to check in on Deanna. Um, I see a few emails from her, actually. I think she's uh, getting set up. No worries. Uh, She's just downloading Chrome because that is what is recommended by the streaming service. So no problem. Oh, another interesting thing. Um, I was recently talking with the young woman who Kant bought, or, or I should say, how should, I'll be delicate about this. There has been a rumor floating around, which I've been hearing about for a long time that Kant bought smoke cracked with some girl. <laughs> and, uh, just so happens I started chatting with this. I somehow got connected with this girl and uh, it turns out that that is a rumor uh, which has a lot of um, traction. It sounds like uh, a people, a lot of people have told me this rumor, um, but the story's not really true. And uh, I talked, I had a long talk with her and actually she's really cool. She's a filmmaker and she's like pretty serious and, you know, a hardworking creative person. And she made a, she's making a film about kind of 4chan and incels and all of that. And um, she even was kind enough to let me see it. She let me see an advanced copy of it. And uh, 
yeah, I had a long chat with her and she's actually really interesting. Uh, seems really cool. And uh, she told me that, yeah, there's a bunch of like 4chan cont bot type folks who don't like her and are out to get her and smear her. So um, I just wanted to give a shout out to her. I talked with her, uh, I think it was a week or two ago. And um, yeah, so eventually she's going to come on here. And uh, when I'm, once I get around to watching her movie, I've just been super busy the past week or two. I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm really interested in it. Uh, we'll talk with her in the, in the not too distant future. Uh, her name is, um, well, actually, I, don't, I think she's trying to kind of keep a low profi- profile at the moment. We'll just leave it at that for now. Just wanted to share that I talked with her and it was really interesting. What else? Um, I think, um, yeah, so people are still saying that there's a problem with the, uh, with the website. I don't, okay, whatever. I just, I just put it up today. I don't really care. I'll fix it. <laughs> um, I'm typing indiethinkers.org into my browser and it seems to be working just fine. If you're not getting it, uh, try, I don't know, try some different, maybe you're using HTTPS or WW and something, but the domain is not accurately set up yet. My, my apologies, no big deal, but, uh, whatever. I'm just, just, uh, floating it for the first time today. Uh, if it's not working at the moment, it'll be working tomorrow or whatever. So, uh, yeah, if you're an independent thinker of any kind, really, and you're looking for any type of support or community or encouragement or whatever, um, tutorials, I'm, I have a very open mind about like what this is going to be pretty much, but, uh, I'm just going to basically build it up following the requests of, of people who are independent intellectuals and they're trying to solve certain problems in their own process and, and, you know, project or whatever. All right, here we are. Um, Deanna, you're not yet live. I have to add you one second. Can you hear me? All right. I see you and I can hear you now. Can you hear me and see me now? Yes. You're, you're crystal clear. Is the volume good or is everything okay? Is it legible? Yeah, you sound good. You look good. And if anyone listening or watching uh, has any beef with the audio or video, if something needs to be changed, increased or whatever, or fixed, just let me know in the chat. I am monitoring the chat. And uh, yeah, like I have all this um, pro audio equipment, but it's like in the box. So I don't really like, I mean, like I studied essentially AV. So like I know how to set it up, but it's like you know, they're all individual, they're nuanced, and they need to have their own time to learn how to use them. So, yep, it's a big pain in the ass. It yeah. only really, it's only really worth putting in the effort of like setting things up properly if you do things over and over again, like, like I do. Um, but for just a one off thing, it's all good. Whatever, whatever technology you got is fine. How are you doing today, Deanna? I'm okay. You know, have a day off. How's your day been? Where are, you, where are you again? Pretty good. I'm in Albuquerque. Oh, oh, so you must be, you're wearing a sweater though. Yeah, I, um, I'm like poor now, so I have to shop only at thrift stores exclusively and, uh, it just, it just started getting cold here. Really? So my last trip to the thrift store, I just had to find something that I had to find a few things that were like kind of warm. So now I look like a bourgeois kind of middle-aged man. Um, I just, I just assume that it's like, uh, like 90 degrees there all year round. Is that, I guess that's not so. No, it's not. It's relatively nice. Um, like right now, for instance, it's still relatively warm during the days when it's sunny, but it gets pretty cold at night. You know, the desert has this weird, um, you know, high variance in temperature or whatever. You're kind of in a different climate than we are, I guess. I mean, I don't know if this is like maritime technically, but it's a little bit, it's like pseudo maritime here. It's and and you're in New York City, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm in Brooklyn now. so I'm. And yeah. have you lived there for a very long time or how long? I've lived in New York my whole life. I 
spent like the past five years living in New York half time and then living in Europe half time. So yeah, that now I'm going to try to focus more on being here and not living in two places at once. Cause it's, you know, it's fun, but like the novelty wears off quite quickly as you can imagine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I, by the I way, I, since you were like, they could be anywhere in the world. They could be in Europe or here, like things like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I hear that. I hear that. By the way, I hope it's okay. I told people uh, while I was kind of buying you time, I, I, I told people that you had to shower because you're single and 30. I hope that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, actually, I don't even mind being single. It's like that horrible photo of me like circulated in the internet and my like my friend thought it would be funny to like put it on my like Everpedia page. And even though I was like, oh God, that's like a seven-year-old picture. It doesn't look like me. It's like horrible and then all these troll you know like trolls are like oh you're ugly blah 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 and it's like i don't really care what they think but like i don't yeah. need to you know like i don't need to hear that in my in my i know exactly i know exactly what you mean by that like i don't like, care also what hate I, I really don't care about haters but it does just no matter how thick skinned you are it just takes a little bit of a toll on you like hearing negative things over and over right. again so right. yeah walking in the street and having someone like push past you without like saying excuse me you know it's like this sort of like little thing like it's they, 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 they don't help us in the day to day. They take away. I think. Right. Right. So by the way, if I'm looking over to the left at all, it's just cause I'm managing the computer stuff myself. So I have to, uh, kind of look oh, to the side. Oh, slightly. No worries. Um, sorry. So, okay. Wait, so uh, let me turn off my notification. Yeah. Good move. So That'd be cool. Not- well, yeah. It's loud actually. Yeah. No, my friend, I mean, my friend's texting me. He, he might even be watching this. Or I think it's it's good now. Okay, cool. All right, cool. So Deanna, I know very little about you other than we had a few email, a few short email exchanges. Um, and pretty much everything I know about you, I learned through the internet. And for someone who's <laughs> for someone who's for someone who's known for being provocative on the internet, there's actually a surprisingly little trace of your of your kind of history. The the best stuff I could find was ironically from uh, Luke Turner's rap sheet against you and uh it's terrible i mean the the whole thing with that is that like right now we're in this weird sort of like we're, we're sort of subject to whatever google page rank says about us which obviously can be weaponized by people with bad faith obviously like if i was really a dangerous or bad person like people would have found out by now i mean even before this whole thing, I've been working in my industry and, you know, had pretty good reputation of, you know, being a good person or like being a nice person, like not being, a, you know, the, these horrible things that, you know, people like Luke Turner say about me that, all, you know, like clearly cannot be true. Uh-huh. You know, obviously, I would be in jail or I would be, you know, living in some I don't even know what context you know, if I was like a bigoted extremist, I wouldn't be in Manhattan or in Europe. First of all, I would move somewhere where uh, I, I don't even know where Cuban, Hungarian Americans live en masse because there's the only other Cuban, Hungarian American I've met is my sister. So, like, I don't understand why okay. the sort of cur- accusations have any currency, really, with adults. 
you know. Right. Okay. That, that, I mean, that makes sense to me. I think we should go a little bit slower and go step by step because I, I, I'm suspecting that a lot of people are like me with respect to your story, which is I've heard your name. Um, I've looked at, I've kind of found what I could about you on the internet and you seem just pretty funny and interesting, honestly. And, but I, but I don't think many people know like what happened with you or your story. Like I, I don't think it really exists in any particularly clear or easy to understand way. So well, let's just start, let's just start with that. If, if we can. Of that, part of that is that people don't really want to know. They don't ask me. That's the problem. They don't right. care. They read something online and like, rather than doing the adult due, due diligence of like finding out if it's true, you know, they teach us this in grade school. Oh, don't cite Wikipedia. It's, you know, you know, it's not a, a accurate source. Like some weirdo guys, like, microsite about like things I said is even less, you know, uh, is less admissible than even a Wikipedia page. So like, I don't understand why, you know, people like this school of art Dean at Yale, et cetera, et cetera. Anyone who, who would uh, sort of echo these sentiments in a publication, why they would do their due diligence to begin though, like uh, trying to think where, my story sort of begins. So like in my early twenties, uh, you know, I, I went to art school. I graduated. I wanted to have an art career. I had a Twitter account I made while I was in college in 2009, I believe. And, um, back in 2009, if you had told me that, uh, in 2019 in 10 years time that people would be weaponizing personal archives that being anonymous on the internet was totally necessary that there was going to be you know that things would be like in the state that they are now i would have i would not believe you like i I wouldn't i I would think that you're lying to me or something like that right so i i sort of just have my i mean like i'm not like was not my mo to be like a twitter person or like you know like even to incorporate twitter as part of my artistic practice i just sort of use like twitter as anyone else does you know it's not necessarily a tool in my artistic i don't know in my practice or anything like that sometimes stuff would get published from my twitter but it's not you know it's like artists like they like eat breakfast and they like take a shit like it's not part of their art so because Twitter is this sort of unique medium, people assume that like, oh, you're a Twitter artist or that your Twitter is like part of your whole thing. But it, that's not, it's not true. So okay. you know, I had my old account. I had it for a few years. I would, you know, comment on political things because I read politics, uh, political philosophy and like philosophy. And, you know, that's how I get my kicks, you know, People in the art world, maybe they don't necessarily care about political theory or whatever. Maybe they're more into poetry or novels or whatever. That's fine. But like a a lot of the times I would get sort of this weird pushback from people in my industry that aren't necessarily well versed in in that realm of thought, like, you know, saying all this like horrible things about me. And I'm like, okay, like we can have that conversation, but do your homework and like don't like don't start the conversation with like ad hominem attacks. Like that's, you know, this is not right. sophisticated. It's not adult. It's not, you know, it's not the forum to entertain serious right. debate. So let's just go, uh, let's break it down a little bit for people. So let's go back to your kind of pre cancellation life situation. You were an art student. Is that right? Where were you an art student? 
so I did my undergrad at RISD and then I went to the Städelschule in Frankfurt for like three days in orientation. And then I dropped out mostly not because of any fundamental things. It was more like uh, I couldn't secure funding to like move to Frankfurt, which is very difficult to live in. It's also quite expensive. You know, I was busy. I had to do shows. So okay. you know, that happened. Um, I had sort of good you know, I was had a working career. I'm not represented by any galleries. I'm not a big name by any means. I'm actually like, artistically speaking, very marginal person in my industry. Uh, I had a Twitter thing going and you know, it, one can't always be in the studio painting, you know, I, I'd like to be painting all the time. It's just, it's about 400 to $1,000 a pop to produce my work. So sometimes I'm not working because I'm making money to make work or like, you know, whatever. Sometimes I have to be at the computer. So when so, you were, so when you had your cancellation experience, you were a student or you were done being a student? No, I, w- I was done. And I had okay. sort of like in my, the early part of my career, because I, you know, I read, I was well read. I was the sort of like Messiah or like public intellectual to like people in the art, you know, it's not hard to pull off because people in the art world don't read. So like, if you read one book, you're automatically a genius by their standards. So uh, I had all these sort of people championing me. Oh, she's a young girl. She's super smart. Like maybe if I promote her, I'll like feel better about myself, you know, institutional people like you know so on and so forth and then you know I I did kind of have uh I enjoyed sort of the perks of that but like you know as I matured and I didn't really change at all I just sort of came into who I am you know as when I you know stopped saying the sort of things that they wanted to hear I became a problem you know it's not that I have any like you know I'm not a horrible person. I'm like actually quite nice. And anyone, you know, who knows me can sort of vouch for that. And I'm certainly not dangerous. And I certainly don't care to uh, convince anyone to believe anything or to vote any other way. Whereas like, it's kind of the standard in my industry for people to be like, Oh, go out and vote. Like go, you know, we have to support this and that party. I don't really care about politics in that sense. Like I don't, I don't care if people vote or not or who they vote for. It doesn't, matter to me i'm i'm not in any way trying to change people's opinion that's what that's like the point of twitter it's my ideas my microblog these are my observations like you know and and they're not just like from reading a vox headline like it's like i have sort of a an informed opinion as far as uh artists go okay so you you think of yourself as pretty much apolitical you're not really trying to like you know convince people to join some particular political side of the debate yeah, and I, I think so, as an artist, it's my my responsibility is not in the political realm. I think that art is like up here, culture's up here, and politics is like way down there. I don't want to like be down there. Like I do what I do because like, you know, I feel strongly about art and you know I love it. You know, I'm okay. not, not why yeah. would I cheapen what I do by like meddling in this like disgusting realm of politics? I don't yeah. Hell yeah. Spoken like a true artist, in my opinion. Um, So, okay. So the picture I'm getting so far is that you were finished with art school. You were not especially famous or influential, but you had- Definitely not rich. Definitely not. And and not rich, but you did have something of a online following because as you put it, you like to read books and uh, you had some interesting kind of intellectual ideas and that has a lot of currency in the art world. So you did have something of a small following. You know, all the, you know, what makes people- 
like certain accounts. You know, it's just like a, it's a basket of sort of things. Um, definitely not by any means like a dangerous or whatever person. So when I, I guess like eventually I, you know, you, uh, you live, you die as a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Oh, sorry. You're a busy woman. No, actually, that was the timer for my <laughs> my frozen uh, pasta. Ah, oh, you eat like a true artist, also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, don't let don't let it burn in the oven or what? <laughs> no, I took it out prematurely. Okay, <laughs> like a real artist, I ate it partially frozen. Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> but yeah, so um, eventually, so like, I guess it, things start to heat up in 2016. You know, people became very like you know, they, they cared a lot about the sort of partisan politics that I, you know, already didn't care about. I see it as sort of sports. It's like, Oh, like, you know, I like the Yankees. I like the Red Sox, whatever, you know, it's not, I think that there are issues in American life that are, you know, beyond the left right divide. I really, I I feel strongly that way, but eventually like, you know, you kind of have to pick a team anyway. So without even caring that much or whatever, the people that I'd work with me, they were like, oh, you know, she's like a bad person because she's not uh, voting for Hillary Clinton, who I, you know, refused. I, I grew up and I had a very hard time under the first Clinton tenure. Like, I, you know, it would be insane to want to repeat that. So it, considering me personally and like my uh, all the sort of factors, like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't support Hillary Clinton. So I was like, this woman is like, like this whole like uh, paradigm of the Democratic Party, like is not good. Like, it's not like, oh, it's not good for a selfish reason. It's like, it's bad for society on whole. And I can't in good faith support this knowing that like, you know, I'm biting the hand that feeds me because, and this is sort of what I learned in the long run is that like, uh, they're like, people don't care about art. They care about power. So like in as much as art is useful in that sense, like people will care about this sort of uh, implementing a top down control over it. You know, if art had no geopolitical currency, like it wouldn't get the funding that it does and it wouldn't have the, the sort of uh, influence that it does now. It's obviously for that. So I, I learned that sort of, uh, I don't know, it, it, it was a hard thing to uh, come to realize, I think, personally. You know, the sort of the suspicions you have about this industry, you know, coming coming true. So that sort of happened. And then, you know, it was further someone had retweeted Luke Turner on my site and I remembered his like silly project. Of course, I don't care one way or another. Obviously I was not on 4chan, like do taking part of that, whatever happened with his stupid project with Shia LaBeouf. I, I don't care. I was traveling busy. I have better things to do with my life. And I was like, Hey, is your project still happening? You know, just, just honest like innocent curiosity, just a passing, you know, oh, is that thing still going on? Mm. And then as a sort of Pavlovian response, when I get a tweet, because I've used Twitter since 2009, you develop this sort of Pavlovian response when when you use Twitter, when you use it that long, mm. I, you know, I would just like 
save every reply to my tweet, you know, as a sort of like, oh, like I saw it, you know, as a like, it's red, not like, oh, I, you know, endorsed the content. So like a bunch of people replied and Luke also in his reply, I favored his tweet too. And then, you know, if someone commented with like a Pepe drawing of him, and I also favorited that because I was, you know, I was like CC'd on the thread. It's not something like I was sitting there, like thinking about doing, oh, this is, you know, this like, it's so malicious. Like he's going to feel so bad when like he sees that, like, you know, that this stupid cartoon was like, you know, like absolutely not. So with that incident, he like, I don't know, went off into like insanity. I mean, at this point you have to understand that he didn't have the sort of like, he wasn't notorious for like doing this sort of thing to people. I know nothing in my interaction with him was uh, in any way aggressive or mean or bullying or, you know, anything that I wouldn't even say to like a five-year-old kid, you know, it's like, it's absurd. So I became sort of patient zero for his insanity. And because he was able to sort of frame, you know, himself as the victim when really like, objectively what was happening is this like 40 something year old male artist is like stalking and like, you know, obsessing over a younger female artist that doesn't have like a, isn't the board of directors on her dad's company of multi-million, you know, multi-million dollar worth. And like everyone, because he took the like moral high ground or because he invented uh, some sort of like moral, uh, uh, aspect to the interaction that was clearly not there. Everyone thought that uh, that they're good people by being party to his harassment of me and being party to his stalking of me. And then it's it sort of like what really upset me. I mean, obviously this guy, you know, it, I feel like personally, like my brand is raped. Like I feel like my brand is raped by him. Now I'm associated with this disgusting guy. Who's like a freak. Who's crazy that I don't like, I would never want to be associated with, you know? And it's just like, it just keeps on, you know, it, it's, it's endless. It's like stress and effect. Also, it just, wow. I'm like inextricably linked with this guy. So that all that being said, I had, you know, like I was doing a show in Paris when he decided to go and I like had been off my depression medicine. I was sort of in a low point in my life and like really prime for like people to kick me. So he's basically started getting all these people to call the gallery I was working with in Paris to try to get them to cancel the show, saying that I'm all this stuff and then spreading all these lies about me and like uh, all this sort of stuff the gallery I was working with, like the curator happened to know me quite well and we had worked together for many years. So of course the show didn't get canceled, but I mean, if it were any other gallery, if I, I didn't know the staff so well, then they might've canceled it. Wait. So real quick, I just want to zero in on a couple things you said. The first thing you said is that you were pretty much as far as you know, the, kind of the first big target of Luke Turner. Is that right? Yeah. To my knowledge, he, you know, he kind of had this, he seemed like some sort of like, frankly, shitty artist who like teamed up with a uh, kind of maybe damaged ex-child actor for like uh, to get, I don't know, more attention for his really bad art. I don't know. So I sort of had this idea that, you know, this guy, 
he's teaming up with this child actor. They're doing all these shenanigans. You know, Shia LaBeouf goes on a racist tirade and, you know, he's attacking police. It's not clear if this is like performance or if, if they're really doing this. And they just sort of have all these like projects that, that seem to fail quite epically. And I don't really understand, but I'm not interested him in him as an artistic figure. I'm like, this, there's some tomfoolery happening. I'm not really into it as art. And I, you know, it's a spectacle. I don't really, I can't really seriously engage with this as an artwork. So my idea of him was like, whatever, but like he had not done any of this crazy sort of stuff before. Interesting. And, and what kind of precipitated it is the fact that you were actually kind of, communicating with him like you were kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt and talking to him like a normal person on the internet would talk with a person on the internet and that rule a hundred percent yeah and well you know what they say no good deed goes unpunished yeah Uh, well so i bet i bet like very few people talk with him now except the people that are the most hardcore kind of like i really don't know it's like there's there's some people that like sympathize he has one girl that like has actually been stalking me and I it got to the point where she was using her jobs Instagram to stalk me after I had blocked her on five different accounts. She's obsessed, like actually obsessed. And it's kind of scary when women are obsessed with you. Like I'm, you know, men, it's like, Oh, whatever, you know, there's like the element of attraction maybe, but like with two straight women or I don't know what her sexual orientation is, but I mean, I assume she's sexually involved with Luke Turner. Otherwise, why would she take this crazy position? Okay, so the the other thing I wanted to zero in on for a moment is, did I understand you correctly in you saying that it all started because of a tweet that you liked or favorited? That was the thing that kicked it off? Well, that was what he used as evidence of my anti-Semitism. But that was the first thing. That was your first crime that got, got you on his radar? He there. There's no reason why he would have even known who I was, you know. I'm, I'm just I'm just clarifying. The first thing you're aware of that he gave you shit for was that you favorited a tweet. Well, he'd never mentioned me or anything like that before. You know, it, that's it. That was the that was the act that uh, that proved my anti-Semitism was liking a tweet, and from that he was able to extrapolate this sort of insane. You, you know, you have to really do like astrophysics to get this logic like wait so real quick i'm just i'm just curious can we can we find i want to know which uh tweet it was exactly that was the problem tweet was it um no i don't think he put it on the thing because he didn't no because uh it's hard to show it's hard to show that by the way i was just telling you i don't like looking i don't i've never even looked through the whole thing because it kind of makes me feel bad that like i'm sorry I, I don't really don't like to look to. at his evidence about me because it's it's not, you know, it's not it's total bullshit. So. You don't have to look at it, but I was just saying before you came on that, frankly, I think scrolling through it, you just seem funny and and weird and cool. Honestly, like it's clear that you're just but joking. So, but like other people, and I mean, this is quote mining. Other people like thought it was seriously. I've had other people like ask, saying like, oh. Two, two curators that I've worked with. Oh, if you work with Deanna ever again, like you can kiss me goodbye. You know, obviously it's always shitty artists that say this. Never good artists. Good artists are too busy working in the studio to give a fuck about ev- anyone else's morals or what they're doing or what they're liking on Twitter. That's the difference between artists that are in cancel culture and artists that aren't. You can, it's across the board. Like 
perfectly. Look at all the artists. And there was, I mean, my controversy is like not the only one happening. There's like a lot of stuff going on in the art world, especially NYC, like it's split now. But like, if you look at the artists that engage in cancel culture versus the ones that, uh, you know, mind their own business and like own their craft, put in hours in the studio, the difference is crystal clear. Oh yeah. I think you're absolutely right on that there. It's like the people who are actually good at their craft are never the ones who are engaging in these culture wars. Exactly. Maybe because they're not wasting time doing that. I I think a lot of the cancel culture artists are insecure people that, you know, they're desperate to get ahead. And, you know, it's unfortunate that art is as competitive as it is, because I don't think that it, it fundamentally needs to be competitive. But the fact of the matter is, is that like, there are some people, their work's bad. They don't have they don't have the confidence to make their work better. So they say, oh, like this girl's in my lane, like I better get rid of her so I can promote my own self. And right. and these are the people attracted to cancel culture. And and you know, when Luke Turner started with his crap, like there's a bunch of people that piled on because I'm an easy target. I have no power in the industry. I don't have a gallery. You know, that's you know, you, you have to have a gallery to be in the art world. I don't have one. And like that's that's that. But now, what yeah. happened that really upset me about this sort of thing is that, you know, like I've had people in my industry have followed me for many years. They fave my tweets. They know what I'm about. Like a lot of uh, art, uh, art magazine editors, they know what my deal is. They like me, but at, like, like a crooked cop that like, you know, sees prostitutes one day and then locks them up the next day. These same editors who know what I'm about, they like me, they fade my tweets, push this horrific story in their publications and like pretend like everything's just peachy cool with me still like to this day. And I'm like, cool, but like, no, actually, like, that's not right to do. You know who I am, you know what I'm about. And you know that that's like, you know, damaging to me. And you know, it's not right. Like it's, it's plain not right. Like I know like whatever agenda your publication has, your magazine, it's like, you know, it crosses the line in, in, in terms of decency. So I have all these horrible and like also to like even editors that I didn't know personally, you know, no one ever asked me for a request for comment when they would write about me, not a single, single time of wow. all the things that of all the people who've covered it, not a single person. And also when I went to Yale, not a single person was like, is this stuff true? Or like before even publishing it, it's, it's horrific. It's, it's really like, it's terrible. Wow. Now. Okay. So you've, kind of described at least the kickoff of your cancellation experience but how how did it escalate or like what was what was the crescendo of your cancellation conflict like what how how did this all kind of end up what was the grand finale of all of this i don't even know if there's a, a finale what when uh a little bit after like luke made his whole ordeal and he sort of kept ex- escalating it i i started to get you know, there were write-ups in art magazines where I've known, you know, the senior editor or like whatever. And they liked me a lot for many years. And for politics, you know, they, they threw me under the bus. And I had one incident. And this all happened during my show in Paris. So I was literally like freaking out, like not medicated, like in in a city trying to like build a show. I don't speak French. All of a sudden, it's very hard to make an 
uh, an exhibition, especially when you're an up and coming artist, you do, like, I don't sure. sleep for weeks at a time. If I have a show, all, all my money, like it's attrition warfare, making uh, an exhibition. If you're a young artist who, and super social, I imagine you have to have relationships and it's very, well, well, not even that. It's just sort of like producing the work and putting it in a place takes all my money, all my energy, all my sleep, everything. And then while that's happening to be like attacked by this psychopath, just like, almost ruined the show for me. And then I ha at the same time, when I'm not sleeping. I'm trying to write the press release, whatever. And I get like this nasty follow-up questions. Like after I email an editor being like, are you sorry for what you did? Like so, all this like patronizing attitude. It's just like really disgusting. Uh, I'll, I'll look through my email and, and post like sort of the interview questions I got last year from one of these magazines really have like the level of disrespect and like guilty before proven innocent, you know, all of this stuff. They're just absolutely. Okay. Real quick. Oh, so sorry. A, a few people are curious about your art. So tell us a little bit more about your art. What kind of art do you do? Are you a painter or a sculptor? Um, or what? I'm, I would say that uh, I'm primarily a painter. I think, I feel like in the contemporary, you know, there's a sort of like weird, like a uh, fluid genre sort of things. But I like to tell people that I'm a painter, even if I'm not always painting, because <laughs> it sounds better than contemporary artists, which is <laughs> a little right. bit of a, I don't know how I'd feel about that. So a question I had for you was that when I was going through your internet traces, um, especially the more provocative ones, it, it definitely gave me the impression that you are fluent in kind of 4chan meme culture like the way that you the way that you talk about things and i was just curious like do you have do you have experience in those circles at all or what is your contact and experience with that internet world well of course um i was privy to that whole world because i did tech i worked actually in tech um I was doing like programming related stuff from the time I was in high school. I mean, I was always going to be an artist. That was always like the grand plan, but you know, I love computers. I was like kind of a nerdy, not very popular middle schooler. I, you know, I like, I like to code. I don't like to do it professionally. This going into tech industry was kind of a disaster, but I love computers. I love online culture and, you know, I wrote about online culture for a, a short period of time. Like I was, interested in the sort of thing. And it's, you know, it's my, it was my world. Like I, I did tech, of course, I know 4chan, of course, I know all of this sort of stuff going on. It's just the nature of what I did. It's not like, oh, I was some like, you know, like, hipster painter that like discovered the internet in like 2010. And like, you know, found out about memes, you know, it's like I had a background in this sort of thing. And okay, I got you. So you were just active on the internet so you pick these things up naturally but you were yeah. never like a particularly active 4chan or, or like no, frog twitter person no, or anything no, or were I, you i never posted to 4chan ever i actually did meet uh moot the guy that started 4chan in 2009 because i was uh consulting him on his startup that had later failed but um no i, I was i'm not like a, it's like a kind of boyish i'm not like that like boyish and male like I, I don't really it's not for me like I I was interested in it as a phenomenon but it's not my community really so a bunch of people are uh, in the chat are saying that they really admire your piece in freeze and oh, yeah. uh so I, Actually, I thought maybe they um the funny thing is that 
that piece I would describe as like, you know, like a kind of a leftist position on terrorism. You know, it's kind of the leftist argument that, oh, like these terror events need to be understood within the context of American culture because they have this sort of like, not American culture, but like Western culture because they have this sort of like, um, uh, these sort of like attributes that aren't, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, isolated and, you know, Islamic, you know, it's not this sort of like Al Qaeda thing. Like these are like young Belgian guys. They have this sort of like weird, uh, unique uh, situation with, you know, being a first generation immigrant. I can relate to that obviously. And despite it being sort of like, kind of a left position on the whole uh, thing to people uh, that wanted to, who sought out to destroy my reputation, they would uh, quote mine pieces from my article to try to make it seem like I was for ter- uh, for torture or for terrorism, like, you know, completely flipping the article on its head, ignoring my point to tr- try to make me look bad. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, a lot of times it, when people would write, this horrible things about me when I would write them being like, Hey, where's my request for comment? Like, I would also be like, did you read the actual piece? Like, or are you just like trying to like ruin me for some reason, especially like, you know, a fashion magazine that I'd never even talked to the editor. Or she doesn't know who I am or anything like that. And it's, it's like, it's okay. It's one thing if it's like Jeff Koons, the other thing is like, I'm really nobody. So I, I, it's it's shocking that like this became such an incident and there was one time especially when with the art forum news bulletin saying that i'm an extremist and all this nasty stuff uh my friend actually does a postdoc in art history uh he he has quite a sort of fancy um residency with a lot of like uh, very, uh, I guess, big name academics or people in, in art history and art. And without even knowing that he and I were best friends, his colleague, who is like a, a department head at a major, I won't put him on, you know, on blast, but my my friend's colleague, who is like a, a major, the head of art history or modern art, rather, at a major university, is like, did you see this thing in art forum about this artist liking a tweet, a Pepe tweet? They're taking this virtue stuff too far. And, you know, if, if someone is in academia, if they're that comfortable in their, you know, big chair, then obviously, like, they have good rapport. And if, if this guy, you know, he's obviously playing by the rules in academia, which are quite stringent. If this guy takes issue with what they're, you know, with what the kind of stuff they're publishing, then obviously, like, it's not just me taking issue with with my reputation being destroyed. Yeah, for sure. Real quick, I just want to throw out there that uh, I got some super chats earlier on. Um, and I just want to let people know I'm not ignoring those. I'm just uh, waiting. They don't really fit into the conversation, so I'll address them at the end. So shout out to uh, Albert Scannell and uh, JB1, who had some, who threw me some money for their comments. I'll, I'll get to them at, when when the time is right towards the end. Um, right. So, okay, Deanna, could you um, could you tell me a little bit more about like in the scheme of things, how bad was your cancellation? Like, how much did it really impact your life and career prospects? Do you feel like it's it's really hard to say because. Um... Like, it's different in art. Like, if you put on an exhibition, 
that's your choice of artists you work with. So it's not the same as if I were to go to, I don't know, apply for a job in an investment bank or a pizza hut where I'm, you know, presenting my credentials to you and you have to give me a yes or no answer. And no often comes with a, you know, a reason why, you know, if, if, if the company is, you know, I, I think, I think it's fair in, in academia, you sort of get a, you know, if you ask for a list of reasons why I wasn't accepted to so-and-so program, they'll, they'll probably give it to you or, you know, you can kind of guess in, in like a traditional job setting why you might have not been the candidate. If someone passes you over to work with, it's not something that you can, you know, it's, it's so internal that it's, it's, it, it could be that, oh, I'm not interested in your, in your work or like, I don't right. want to have someone who's canceled in my gallery. Like it, but it compared, a- compared to your pre-cancellation trajectory and the number of opportunities you were getting and the, oh, yeah. the oh, impact, how, how much did that stop? Do you feel like? Oh, absolutely. It stopped a hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. Up until, I mean, like I'm going to do an exhibition at the end of the year with like friend, you know, I still have friends, but like, all the the professional stuff they stopped uh, knocking on my door. Definitely interesting. I'm sorry to okay. hear that, but on, on, I mean, yeah. it could be that like that's sort of like the way things go. But I don't know. I think like I don't think it lasts that long. I really don't. I think like this is why I'm really interested in talking with you because you told me that you're planning a comeback, and that I find that so cool and exciting because I think it's actually easier to ba- to bounce back from this kind of stuff than people think. I think if you are confident and motivated it and you just kind of give it a little bit of time to blow over you can actually yeah. come back you can come back not only at the same level that you're at but even better because now you have more name recognition definitely I'm, i want to come back stronger and i think that i can it's just like you know the thing what i love about art so much is that and culture also why i like was drawn to this field maybe even as a child is that it's so free and and it, you you can't have culture and art subject to top down control. Essentially what happens in art now is that you have a bunch of uh, bureaucrats. These are the cancel culture people. They, you know, because their work is bad, they want to follow a bureaucratic protocol to get all the kind of shows that maybe better artists. Would Just like get. academia. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they sort of take advantage of that and, uh, you know, they're in the interest. I mean, they're the ones calling for censorship, which, you know, no artist should be for censorship, I think. You know, I think that artists should take on, and I think historically they have taken on the fight against censorship. So you have this sort of like milieu of like contemporary artists who are like for censorship, for top-down control of art and culture, and like they can keep forcing it until the cows come home. But art and culture doesn't work like that. Like it, it won't, like... You cannot force it. it it's just going to be what it is. And a, a lot of that stuff is like, you know, you even see that in uh, that happening in non-art image making or image culture. I don't, it's kind of a weird way to describe it. It's very like academic. I get you. Whatever. But like, you know, it's it, it can't be controlled. And eventually, like as hard as all these Luke Turner types try, as, as hard as the culture bureaucrats try, they can't do it. They're, they're fighting a losing battle. And I, and I have a lot of faith and optimism in uh, everyone against that winning. I do. I'm with you. Definitely. I think in part because the cancel people, 
that stuff gets really boring really quick. You know, it's like they say the same things over and over again about everyone. It's like such a tired line that it's really the opposite of art and creativity and true intellectual life. So just intrinsically, it's like a self-defeating system that runs out of steam like pretty quickly. Um, And I think anyone who's just sticking to their guns and you're going to be you and you're going to be honest and just do the creative work you believe in without, you know, any without even really looking around you to see what people think or what their opinions are. Like those people are going to be the ones who win always. And I think we're learning that we're learning this now. Like people are learning that when you get canceled, if you just keep your head on straight, just stay, stay connected to like the people who care about you and just ignore all the haters that actually like, if you can just keep your head on straight and stay productive and stay confident, you're going to come out even better. More people are going to know you. More people are going to be interested in you. And even more like you, there's proof. There's like public proof that you're the real deal because you take your licks, you say what you want and you, and you're willing to take punishment for it. I mean, like, absolutely. Part of the reason why I had, you know, sort of issues in the beginning is because I bit the hand that fed me, you know, I could have, I could uh, become, and I, and I have the, the, uh, context to be very good at it. You know, I could be, if it comes to woke PC postmodern culture, I would be the best at it because, you know, I have read all that stuff and I do understand all of that. And I know where it comes from. I know how it works because I can't bring myself to like be a ass kisser in that regard. I can't bring myself to like, keep doing that it, it doesn't come from a bad place I think it comes from a good place I think people will sort of realize that that uh you know it, I'm not it nothing I say or do is out of malice I, I'm taking you know the more difficult route and trust me it's fucking hard like I'm not in art school if you're poor if you come from a disadvantaged family you're already off the bat there's no uh, uh, endowment for art school. Like if you go to Yale, if you go to Harvard, you're poor, you get a free ride. Art school doesn't have that endowment. Even at RISD, mm. biggest endowment of them all, you're fucked. So already at art school, which is even more costly than liberal art school, which is already a fortune, you're already having to compete with trust fund kids, with ki- foreign international students whose parents can you know, pay the whole tuition no problem. So on top of that, it's like, you know, it's they've made made it as hard for me as possible. But I think there is something to, uh, you know, working hard and diligently and, you know, taking the path less traveled. And I think in some ways I do have an advantage that I don't have a trust fund or that I'm not some sort of like, you know, laptop cultural bureaucrat that like, you know, is policing people's content in their language and all that. Yeah, that's a profound point. Uh, I've had that thought myself that if you come from a disadvantaged family and this shit kind of happens to you, you get canceled or whatever, you have this like very typically you have this very different type of kind of scrappier response. Oh, you know, absolutely, like, pe- absolutely. like people people I'm talking about people who come from well to do families and like mm-hmm. maybe their parents had high status or whatever. Those people, when they get canceled or their or their fear of cancellation is so much greater. And if they get canceled. Mm-hmm. They often are the ones who kind of get the most demoralized and demobilized by it because they're comparing themselves to some like previous um, level of status or fame or inf- or legitimacy really is what they is what they is what they are trained to kind of expect of themselves. But like I come from a disadvantaged family, also like my parents were very poor uh, and uneducated, and uh, so for me, like when I when I had like my conflicts that led me to ultimately kind of just make a grand break from the institutions altogether. For me, it was like. 
it was kind of fun. It was like motivating and energizing. You know what I mean? Like I didn't feel like I was falling from any type of grace. I kind of felt like, oh, that whole club is like kind of stupid and retarded, honestly, that like this is an opportunity. And now all these people are looking at me and paying attention to me. So I'm like, okay, I'll make do with this. (laughs) You know? Well, I I think, yeah, no, I had like the same exact experience. And I think part of that is um, just sort of the fact that you have to work so hard if you come from a disadvantaged background. I mean, my parents were literally refugees. They didn't speak English when they came to America, all that. Um, But when you have to put in the effort when you have to put in all the time and your hard-earned money that your parents aren't giving you, you start to evaluate things differently. So I I got to a point where I'm like, you know, I had to work my ass off to pay off student loans, all that sort of stuff for so many years. And I finally get to the point where I'm at least performing on par with my wealthier contemporary. You know, I get to the point where I'm, you know, I'm on their level career-wise. And, I, and I'm looking around, they're like rude to me, like, you know, saying all this like horrible things about me that aren't true. And I'm like, wait, I work my ass off to get to this level to hang out with these people who suck? Like, really? <laughs> yeah. And then you sort of, you're like, wait a minute, you know, you toss it aside and you're like, I got to do my own thing because, you know, my hard work is being wasted, you know, like middling down with these losers and like bad, bad faith actors. Right. You know, another thing that you're kind of making me think about is that as the cancel folks like Luke Turner, like as they collect more victims and as more people, as more people are canceled, what actually ends up happening is there are now so many people who have been canceled that all those people, it's like a critical mass now. Like those people are talking with each other and there's, it's a larger group now. And frankly, like when I hear yeah yeah like when i hear about someone getting canceled i'm like i really want to know about that person i probably want to be friends with them maybe i mean some people know but um and like that that group is so that group is so large now that like it can really start bootstrapping its own new opportunities and its new counter institutions absolutely i was talking to my friend the other day and i was saying like you know the only thing we can do it the problem with art is that like fundamentally it kind of cannot be decentralized right like cryptocurrency can be decent you know money can be maybe decentralized i mean i wouldn't say that it is in cryptocurrency that's a whole other can of worms to get into but art kind of needs to have this uh to protect it you know otherwise we're gonna only be watching imax movies like it needs it needs a little bit because it it's weird it's a lead it needs contextualization but the 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 state of the industry now is just it's completely corrupt and like it's not that we need to maybe necessarily toss away with it but maybe we need to build our own institutions to eclipse the corrupted ones i think hell yeah hell yeah i mean in my own little way that's obviously kind of what i'm trying to do here and i think i'd like to see more and more people do exactly what i'm doing essentially like i'm not personally interested in some sort of like big unified thing i'm interested in a kind of a kind of rapid acceleration of small scale projects that start linking up with each other in a more kind of impactful and financially sustainable way. That's my own kind of thinking, which make, which reminds me actually, like I learned about you through Nina Power and DC Miller. Do you know them personally? I'm just curious. Um, Nina, I've never had the pleasure of meeting IRL. Um, DC and I have been uh, pals for, for, I guess at this point, years. Um, oh, really? IRL or just on the internet? On the internet. And I did meet him in Berlin last year. He took me out to dinner, which was very sweet. 
not in a romantic way. I mean, I don't want to make anything like that. Oh, like, you just but, launched a bunch of rumors. You're not taking that back. Don't worry. Yeah. No, in a, in a, in a very respectful Plutonic way, he, you know, we hung out in Berlin. He was actually, I think he lives in London. So we didn't spend that much time, but he's they're They're great. You know, they're, you know, they're fighting the good fight. I think. And so, okay. So, so now maybe we should talk a little bit more about your grand plans for the comeback. I, I'm really interested in this. I really like your attitude. And I think, I think like, I'm really interested in kind of promoting and popularizing this kind of more positive attitude towards cancellation. Like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. They took me down for a little bit, but I'm going to come back with a vengeance. Like you seem like you're in good spirits. You seem yeah. like you have plans. And, and it, from what I know, from what we chatted about before you're working on some things, let's talk a little bit about like your strategy for what, what are your plans for bouncing back from all this? Well, I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying uh, just a few minutes ago in that, like, you know, we have to, people like you and I have to work so hard and then you get to cancel culture and you're like, fuck, I have to do it again. But like, it's easy. It's so much easier, easier for people like us to do it again because we've done it the first time rather than, you know, someone who rode the gravy train to where they are as is, is so often the case. Luke Turner. Luke Turner. Luke Turner and, you know, a lot of the people that, you know, join in his like attacking of me uh it, you know we have the advantage because we did it the first time we we have that hard work and i and i tell my my friends this is like you know parenting is is a lot of it you know my my parents they were refugee immigrants they're like you better you better fucking succeed like you're not you're not allowed to fail so like they instill the sort of work ethic in me and this drive and resolve and like you know, it's just like, I can't let them ruin my life. These like gremlin, evil, like self-interested people. Like they're so fake. Oh, oh, I care about disenfranchised people. No, you fucking don't. Like they don't care. They don't give a fuck about anyone but themselves. And I think that's pretty clear. And you know what? They will be exposed for who they are. So right now my preoccupation is like develop my own craft. Important thing in art is like, it's okay if you don't have any heroes that are living, you know, sometimes you won't find a mentor. Sometimes you don't have an older, I mean, I do have still people, older mentors, people way further in their career than I am that I look up to for advice, but a lot of them have never had this. So sometimes you're sort of tossed into something where you don't have any more heroes, where you don't have mentors. Sometimes you're alone, you know, in art, it's very historic. Sometimes you're alone with art history and you have to look to art history or you have to look to some something else to motivate you or to sort of like understand how to how to move forward. So I'm looking so true. That's such a good that's such a good and important point. So, yeah, like I feel like there's no one. You know, there are people that are still my friends and they're still, you know, ride or die for me. But, you know, sometimes I, I don't feel like there is someone I can talk to who went through this. So. Uh, I take my time. I build up my confidence. You have to have the confidence if you're going to do something as uh, brazen as try to pick yourself back up or build your own institutions. You gotta, you gotta like have a solid foundation. You can't have any like, you know, like negative people in your life telling you you're you're not shit or like bad boyfriends or girlfriends. You know, sort of like definitely your energy. So you need that. You need to figure out, and this is the most difficult part, but again, people like you and I have this advantage. You need to find out how to 
make your own money for your own work because that when you're canceled, the well dries up. Like that's the that's the intent with cancel culture is to make it so that you don't have money so that you starve and you die and your family is hungry and your whole life is ruined. Like that's the, that's the reason why people participate in cancel culture. They also to promote themselves, to get you out of the way in your industry, but they also know to the effect of how that that's going to impact your life. So the hardest part is like, okay, I'm not going to get a grant. I'm not going to get a MacArthur from like these people. Like I'm not like, you have to understand like in your field, like whether you're an academic, you're a writer or whatever, that like, they're not going to be there for you. You have to find alternative funding. You have to find, you have to like, to some extent reinvent the wheel because those things that you would traditionally rely on, like I'm not getting, like I have to make my own paintings out of my pocket, which is like really a pain in the ass. But like, that's just, you know, that's the reality of it. So a bunch of people are asking, where can they find your artwork? And in particular, some people are asking, is there anywhere they can buy stuff from you? Um, well, right now I'm in the process of getting my work back from galleries that like had it in the closet and like not, um, you know, they weren't going to represent me. So it's just sort of, I don't want them to take half because they don't deserve it. If it were my gallery, you know, it's standard. You take 50% sales, but like, they're not, they don't represent me. So I'm getting a bunch of this stuff back. And like my whole like purpose right now is just sort of like secure as much funding cash injection as I can make the fucking work, make a lot of it. And like, just sort of like sell them at the end of, by the end of the year, by November, end of November, December, I'll have a bunch of work back and some to sell. And maybe I'll put it online, but it's it's more like a, you know, in, in art, you're not really supposed to put your work on Instagram. I get that. Yeah, yeah I know. Like I know in the art world, you're supposed to sell a few items to like really wealthy people for large right. ticket prices, right? But um, I, And I don't have a problem with that. It's just like, you know, I have the right to sell my work to rich people just like everyone else, you know, like fuck them, sure. you know. But this is actually an interesting question I'd love to pick your brain on. Like at what point does it become worthwhile for someone like you to basically say like, okay, this traditional game of selling paintings for like huge price tags to wealthy people in the kind of formal art world. At what point does that for someone like you become not really worth it? And the gains and the income you could make from the internet actually is greater. Like, are you thinking about that? It could possibly behoove you to actually just go all in on the internet. I'm gonna make a podcast at the end of the month because I'm literally like I have a producer and like I can't not do it I have all the like I mentioned earlier I have all the equipment in the house so I you know whether I like it or not whether I do a good job or not like there will be a podcast so everyone stay tuned and um yeah I mean like in that sort of sense like I don't really have a qualm with this is kind of the sort of dark thing I realized in art you know, when I was younger, I would hear these stories about this, you know, artificial secondary market inflation, all this like, you know, Chinese businessmen laundering money, all this nasty stuff, Sackler family, like donations. And I was like, oh, that's all bad and nasty. Like how fucking naive was I? So now I realize that the money is the least corrupt 
element of the whole thing. And like, actually, like all the bad stuff is happening, not with super wealthy people. It's like happening in a, of course, on a bureaucratic level with, you know, people I would interact with in the, in the day to day. So I don't really fundamentally find something wrong with the patronage model. It's an old model. You know, it's not the, it's not a populist sort of thing. It is like elite it, art is luxury. There are luxury items. You know, it is, it is what it is. And, and I don't really make any pretensions about that. I don't really have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is, you know, these horrible bureaucrats saying like, what's, who's allowed to make art and who's not allowed to make art. You know, when I, when I went to Yale, I presented on uh, the mythology, you know, this was also of course uh, a, you know, protested or canceled, whatever lecture. I actually want to talk about the artists as um, a mythological figure as part of their work. So, you know, you think of this sort of like Martin Kippenberger, this Jeff Koons, even this Frida Kahlo sort of envisioning herself in all of these, these different uh, situations. And, and I, my whole point was sort of that, you know, if we start looking at ethics as an aesthetic criteria, then we will lose, and I think it's an incalculable loss, I think we will lose artistic plurality. It's like, you know, what if it, the rate that we're going, you know, and I've even heard, you know, we're even getting into this conversation in the art world. Like I've seen this. It's like, oh, like someone has, someone's in jail, they're incarcerated or they have a criminal past. Are we really going to show this person in the gallery or like there's going to be an ordeal? Like that's bad. When you start, you know, having this weird criteria where like people who were incarcerated or have a criminal record are not allowed to make art, like that in and of itself is like a, a huge loss. And, you know, it, it just leads down to more of that. And I don't want to live in a society where people where bad people are not, you know, where their uh, work is not uh, sort of held to the level of art because by virtue of things they've done in their life or how ethical they behave or their other like irrelevant criteria Right. If it, if it becomes about morality, then you're just going to have an increasing uh, narrowing of what is creatively possible. And that's just the opposite of art, essentially. So there is a super chat here from someone named Joseph Massey, who says that as a canceled person, I appreciate her viewpoint. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm really interested in these strategic questions of like how to navigate this new world successfully as, you know, d provocative or cancel vulnerable uh, thinkers or creators or whatever you want to call people like us. Now, in your case, I think the art world is an interesting puzzle because as you alluded to, there is this problem in the art world where the norm is to sell your artworks at really high prices to wealthy, influential people. And there's a kind of trade-off between doing that and selling to the public or selling online. Like if you started selling your paintings online for relatively cheap or affordable prices, then that is perceived as a signal to the art world and to the wealthy art people that you're kind of a loser, that you're not really like um, a, a serious player in the art world. But is that changing now? I think that's, uh, I don't think that's really, um, I don't think that people in the art world really think that way. I think that's it's changing, I, mean, I think. Well, it, there's always been this sort of like edition model. So like if I want to make um, a series of posters 
I'll sell them as additioned works. And they're, you know, they would be sort of within the price range of a, you know, an average person could afford them if, you know, right. it would be under a hundred dollar sort of thing. So that's not necessarily, um, it's not such a issue in the arts. There's also the, there's a sort of thing that you have to understand when you're in fine art and it's not, and it's hard to, grapple with because you know especially like someone like me I grew up very poor like I don't want to have my the dedication of my life to you know making trinkets for rich people you know I do believe that you know there's a there's something you know worthwhile in what I do that's beyond money and this sort of you know these sort of petty considerations but at the same time you have to realize that like you know what you do is elite it doesn't have populist appeal and it is maybe in some regards, like not necessarily like the way that it has to exist is not necessarily the best way or it's not the way that you'd like it, but like um, you just have to accept that it's like that, you know, it's like not everyone is reading philosophy in like middle America. It's the same sort of thing. It doesn't, it's not, Wow. So then my question for you is if you're not against the idea of having a kind of two track model, the kind of art world model, and also a more kind of popular public facing commercial model, if you're not against that, then my question for you is what are you waiting for? Because you're clearly like talented. People know your name. Like you could easily be making maybe not like millions, but decent money, like worthwhile money. If you just started selling stuff on the internet now, like why not? What are you waiting for? I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm doing it. I mean, my plan is like, you know, if my work is good, if I'm making good paintings, rich people will want to buy it. They're not going to care if they're going to, you know, if they're really like, and I don't, it, when it, when it comes to selling work to collectors in contemporary art, a good gallerist will want to put you in the best collection, right? So you want to be in the collection with Picasso. You want to be in the collection with Van Gogh, whatever, rather than being, than selling the work for the top price you can get for it. So uh, you would rather sell a painting maybe for five grand to the Picasso collector rather than selling it for eight grand to person, you know, making their collection. So there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of different economies that happen in contemporary art that are sort of like interlinked. But if my work is good and like the collector is, you know, truly loves art, then I think that I'm not going to need these bureaucrats and these middlemen to get my work out. They're going to ask me for, for the, uh, for the work and I'm not going to pay 50% sales cut to a gallery that, you know, would represent me maybe if I wasn't canceled. So it's kind of a beautiful thing. I think that once that starts happening, you know, money talks really, and it talks louder than PC culture. So I think that what happens is that when, when canceled people, they just sort of have to, um, you know, just hang on and like, sort of like, I guess, bite the bullet, suffer for like a a little time, get together there, you know, if it's not money, self-esteem, you know, whatever it it, it takes to sort of like be autonomous, you kind of sort of have to gather that. And then you just have to go, go, go and just make and like, don't pay attention to all the noise because it's it's always going to be there. And like, eventually, like, if you build it, they will come, I think. I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, I've been doing this like with, uh, uh, you know, about as much success as I hope for, uh, maybe even a little bit more than I reasonably 
hope for. Like things are like, I'm pretty much doing that full time now and things it's working like it, you know, yeah. it's, it's difficult and it has its challenges and you have to be really open-minded and creative and, and really dedicated and, and, and really bust your ass, but, but to do anything significant, you have to do that. Right. So it, it's all good. Um, I, for you, in your case, I'm just kind of like really excited to see you start doing this because I think like you're already quite able if you like in the chat right now, it sounds like that I'm getting the vibe that there are people listening to this right now who like, if you had just a link to give them, they would pay like something reasonably expensive, uh, in, into your pocket. <laughs> tell, them to, tell them to be patient because I'm in the process of like getting, uh, it's like crazy. I, because I love working so much and because I've had to work so hard, I, I just, you know, I fill up my plate, like mountains of work. So hopefully I'm, this is very right. ambitious. I'm trying to get 14 works done with like, end of the year beginning of next year so awesome well you know just like, the- all, all like attrition like you have to like if you really want to get yourself back if you want to do better than you were before you really you have to be dedicated you have to be myopically focused That's yeah. what it definitely definitely um yeah i mean for what it's worth we probably shouldn't get too much into the weeds of like nerdy uh like online co- commerce type stuff but um yeah. For what it's worth, like Gumroad is really amazing. It's super quick, really slick. And like they they allow for these pre-order products, which basically allow you to sell things before you've even made them. And yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's going to be a Patreon. My Patreon or Gumroad, whatever service I wind up using, I'm going to have two tiers, like $5 or 10000 10000 Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just for fun. I don't think anyone will actually be that way. But no, yeah. but I think it's... I think it's a really good uh, principle there. And I think people are not really like realizing this quite yet that there are a lot of people with maybe not wealthy. I mean, there probably are. Well, there definitely are some wealthy, wealthy people who hate cancel culture. So that's one thing, but but there's a relatively small number of super wealthy people, but more importantly, there's a very large number of moderately well off, you know, quite well off uh, upper middle-class people who hate cancel culture and who are they want to spend large sums of money on people like you because one, by getting canceled, it shows you have integrity and that you're the real deal. And two, they hate cancel culture. So it's like a kind of protest vote. Also, they're spending their money as a kind of protest vote. Yeah, so I think like a lot of content creators actually sell themselves short. They price things too low because they think like uh, they, they people just like think they're not worth it. They, they don't have enough confidence or whatever. But like if people like you and all kind of serious committed intellectuals or artists like take themselves more seriously and have confidence, you can set pretty pr- high price tags and like yeah. pe- there will be people to pay for it. Right. Right. I mean, just not even art objects alone. Like I'm already like increasing my rate, you know, not that they're banging on my door asking me to write uh, art criticism anymore, but like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take the rates that I took before I was canceled. Like you have, if you want me to write, like you have to pay, a cancellation cancellation fee like a premium because now it's like you know i saw i did suffer you know and i'm, I'm not gonna like sort of like take that year this past year all that lost revenue all those lost opportunity and like you know like cover that like hell no i'm gonna incorporate it into my price point so i'm gonna inflate my work so much so you know, if, if you're, I mean, unless you're like a cool person, you're not trying to ruin my life. You can get the regular rate, but if you're a publication that like, you know, try to make me look bad, you're not going to get a piece from me at regular rate in the future. That's for sure. So well, honestly, sure. these like mainstream publications are in much more danger than you and I like they're screwed. Absolutely. This whole, this sort of thing with 
with coming after someone as literally like uh, on public assistance, no gallery, like uh, 26 years old at a time. That's in, it's not even like early in an art career. You're not even an artist then like that's infancy level, like coming after, you know, it's, it's there. It's not because they're powerful. It's because that's their last cry. You know, it's the last, it's the end. They're doubling down because they know that it's coming for them. I mean, in earnest, like even all of this stuff aside, even like my whole experience aside, like I'm not interested in reading the publications anymore. Like I'm not even interested in hate reading them. And like I can't even get the interest to read. Like I, I seriously no. try to keep up on kind of like the academic theory stuff. Right. And as I as I get more and more kind of free and and independent, I'm literally finding it impossible to even. Uh, like it's psychologically maintain yeah, yeah. investment like, in, in the world. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm completely like, I, like I can sort of, I sort of have an idea of like what kind of stuff they're going to publish. I can see a headline and get the gist of it. I know the editors, I know like when management switches up, I know that I'm out, I know what they're publishing. It's not good. I know, I know because and they know it too. I, I think. I am somewhat connected still. Like I know who's blacklisted from certain publications. I'm not the only one. So it's like, it's bad. You know, the art world should be embracing people like me, you know, they're independent thinkers. And instead they're, you know, collectively punishing anyone who thinks independently or actually like isn't sort of adhering to the protocol. A lot of the problems that I had not necessarily because people took issue with me, but they wanted to make an example. We don't want more Deanna's talking their minds and saying, wait a minute, like maybe this whole like uh, the sort of like de facto, like progressive neoliberal sort of thing isn't good. Like maybe this is actually harmful. Maybe it doesn't help working class people like all this sort of thing, you know, and I think eventually all this sort of stuff will be um, seen for what it is. I think already to some extent, you know, the, the loudest cancel culture artists are already being, you know, understood as control freaks, as narcissists, as like bureaucrats and like their, their star is waning. And I think uh, like people who don't kiss ass and aren't, you know, bootlickers, I think, you know, the future is for us. Definitely. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You're getting me pumped. Um, so I'm kind of curious not to shift gears too abruptly, but how, I'm curious to know, like, what, what is your life like right now? Like you you live in New York. So do you have a kind of like hipster art world friend set or like have, has that all gone away and you're like living in isolation or tell, paint a picture for, for us of, of your life at the moment? So, um, I, I, I guess like in the sort of same vein, I'm very loyal person. I mean, my, my friends here are the same friends I've had for the past, you know, since high school over, over 10 years. And, you know, before I was canceled, you know, I was, I would still hang out with them. So that part, you know, like, and my friends, like, you know, we're, we're hive mind because we've literally grown up together. We're like the same people. So like, we're just like, we click in a way that, you know, like it's like being married for a long time or like, you know, sort of growing up with someone, you, you know, you, you can sort of like connect with them on a, on a certain way. So in, in regard, in, in sort of the friendship department, I'm really one of the most blessed people. I have like, wow. the best wow. friends anyone could ever ask. And, you know, that part's fine when it comes to like industry friends. Like I have some people that are like truly ride or die. And then I have some people who are like, Oh, you're canceled. Like I was, you know, really hyped on you a few years ago and I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. Cause I don't want to, 
you know, be associated with you. So yeah, and I, I'm very like a sort of like keen on that sort of thing. I'm, you know, I'm very like emotional artist, you know, so I pick up um, sort of on that sort of stuff, I think more than the average person. And I, I know when I'm getting the cold shoulder and it's unfortunate, but I'll remember that when I'm, when I'm back on top. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, like, are you friends with any other people who are intellectuals or artists or whatever, who are maybe not well known, but you want to give a shout out to, like they have some sort of public presence people could look into. I, I'm just very interested in kind of like finding all the interesting people, even if they're not famous at all. Um, and kind of like building out the network of like people, you know, just, I don't know, help, helping people. Something I should definitely uh, get onto because I've been so like put off from, you know, the, I went to one gallery opening this entire year because I was personally invited to the dinner. You know, I'm, I don't even want to show up in, you know, a gallery and like risk having like a weird interaction or whatever. I do want to um, get more involved with the up and coming. I have a, a bunch of people that are like super young. They're super into my work. They're super against like all of that crap. They're the future. And like, I'm going to try to dedicate as much time as I can to like putting them on and like being the mentor that I wish I had that I didn't have, you know, I wish that I had someone saying like, you know, this is how it really is. Don't worry about the money. Like there's a lot more stuff happening in this industry. Like I, I wish I had someone show me how the sausage is made. That person wasn't there. So maybe I can be that person for the next generation. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my own little way, I'm, I'm trying to do that too. Like I don't have any delusions of grandeur or anything, but I, 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 I so feel that motivation also. And, you know, I think, um, I think if people have like a very kind of low level, local organic kind of attitude towards building relationships with like the people who are the real deal, you know, like I think true artists and true intellectuals, they, they make themselves felt pretty quickly and, and clearly. Right, like, right. You, you know, when you're in the presence of someone who's like genuine and trying to do something real and authentically creative and, and honest and that, that stuff makes itself known very quickly and clearly, I think. And so like, yeah. if every, if everyone simply stays attuned to that and builds relationships based on trying to find that wherever it lives um, and supporting that wherever it lives. And everyone does that. Like th this kind of counterculture that's emerging, I think could like rapidly accelerate in like an amazing way. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that's really sort of the key. And honestly, when, when you're doing things in earnest, when you're not trying to do this sort of scheme to make pe ruin people because you want their spots, when you're when you're like honest, when you work hard, when you love what you do, it shows and it shows and it inspires other people. When you're like, you know, sitting at your desk saying, "Oh, this person's a bigot," like, blah, blah, blah. you know, that doesn't inspire the next generation. And I'm a, a tweet sometimes like, uh, "Inspire or retire," like being like screaming and censoring people doesn't it, it inspire the next generation. So like, they're not going to listen to those people and they shouldn't, you know, the, you know, would you listen to someone screaming, you know, your neighbor next door, I'll oh, get off my lawn, you know, when you're, playing, you're not inspired by that. Like, you know, this sort of negative approach. It's, like, it's true. Ex except, you know, this is, this gets kind of dark when you really look under the hood of it and think about it, but there are all of these mentorship programs now that are, kind of geared around like social justice stuff, like diversity and this oh, and that. And like, I mean, it's, it's really, it's taken over. Like it's really, it's really ugly. I mean, Yale, when I went, Yale MFA program is one of the top 
uh, graduate art programs in the country. Like there's like only a handful of others and like they're teaching this sort of, it's sad, you know, they're, they're teaching because institutions want to prove that they're not, you know, evil. They don't have all this blood money by promoting identity politics. So basically they're taking young artists um, often. And, and this is always the case, you know, young artists of color, you know, disenfranchised groups, t tokenizing them based on their identity and, and sort of building this, this um, edifice of institutional verification where you're only worth as much as you're able to pimp out your census demographic stuff. It's not even identity. It's like, oh, I like, I am Hispanic. Like I, you know, like, I had a single mother, you know, I'm queer or whatever, you know, and, it, and it's sad because it might not necessarily be that these artists would come to developing their practice this way. It's because they're literally be, they're literally incentivized. It's like, if you want the show at blah, blah, blah gallery, you better make work like this or else, you know, and that's like, that's really like the tragedy of pedagogy, like our pedagogy and like, what's going on now. It's not only, yes, the cancel culture is evil, but like even the people that aren't, you know, that even stay within like the acceptable comportment of, you know, what one would expect for an artist, they're still sort of growing up and developing themselves under this sad framework where your, your own experience in life doesn't matter as much as you're able to reduce that down to group uh, to group dynamics and, and group identification in a very trite, antiquated, like, legacy of post-structuralism way, right? Like, that's, you know, the idea of identity now is, like, one that they tried it in the 70s and the 90s. It doesn't help in the way that it's intended to. We've already gone through it. We, we need to stop forcing it on people. So. Mm. And how old, how old are you now? 30. 30. That's right. Oh yeah. I think you told me that. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't even go to galleries now. You're kind of, you feel like you shouldn't. I'm, it's like, I mean, it's not, I'm kind of like not interested. And then I'm right. also kind of trying to avoid the sort of thing. Like I went uh, this weekend to, you know, a popular art bar uh, downtown to see uh, friends that are not related to art, like to see my, some of my regular friends, or not necessarily in the industry, but like, you know, they're like, you know, the kind of people that would like go to this bar and I go there and, you know, I'm not with anyone I have a problem with. I'm like with my, my friends, my core people, I'm like hanging out with them. And like, there's the girl that like called me racist four years ago. Like, I don't like that. Like, I don't want to, I don't need to like be around those people that like try to ruin my life on the internet. And like in real life, you know, it's just like, we're just going to pretend like that didn't happen. You know, I don't need right. to be that. definitely. Oh, I definitely, I get that feeling for sure. I kind of have that attitude right now myself kind of towards academia. Um, do you hang out with any of the other kind of well-known edgelord types in New York? Like, uh, do you, do you hang out with the red scare girls? Um, I feel like, um, I was like Anna's first fan. I always say that. So I know Anna and Dasha way, way, way like eons before red scare. So, um, yeah, like we're, we're, we're pals. I don't see them as much as I'd like to, but you know, they're, you know, they were there. I've known, I, I think I met Dasha in like 2011 or 2012. So that's like a long time. So yeah, for sure. That's a long time ago. 
What about like the come town guys? Do you like mess with, I, with those? I people? met Adam through Dasha. So I, and I don't, I've never met any of the other guys from that. I, I, I guess I'm like friendly with Adam, but like, I don't, obviously I don't see, I don't even really see Dasha that much and let alone like Adam. You Have know, you done all their podcasts? What? Have you I've, done their podcasts? I've done Red Scare and I've done Tech Wars and I've done your podcast now. Oh, right, right on. on. Um, I've done Come Town. Yeah, you should probably go on Come Town too. People are always telling me to go on Come Town. I actually talked with them briefly about it. I, uh, we were like talking about making it happen, but uh, they don't Skype people in. They, I think they only do local. So you could do it. Oh, I don't. I don't know if they'd be interested in in me. Why not? I don't. You're know. funny. You're funny. I mean, I try. Your, your, your internet game is like is pretty good. You're pretty funny. I think. Um, but uh, anyway. nothing yet. So. Do you, someone is asking, do you hang out with Brit- Brittany Venti? I don't know who that is exactly. I think she's like, uh, she makes like streams. Does she play like let's plays or something? I think she's a YouTuber. I don't know her shtick exactly, but. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I don't, I know I've heard her name before, but I don't really know much about her. Okay. I got a question for you. How do you like living in New York or do you like, do you think it's a thumbs up or thumbs down? It's a good, if you're like a creative person and you're trying to like make waves, do you, do you think it's it's still like a worthwhile place to be or are the social conformity costs and the the financial costs so great now that it doesn't even really make sense to be in New York? How do you feel about New York? Um well it's hard cuz like this is my like it's my home. I've not known right. a home so of course abstracting away from that though. A love-hate relationship with it. Um I, there's you know there's a sort of thing where people and, and this was kind of like an idea circulating in the past decade, like, Oh, do you need to live in a major city or can you pull off a career living kind of, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you kind of like, if you want to do the traditional route, you kind of have to be at least somewhat close to a a major city, or you have to have the ability to travel, which might be, you know, you can make it work. Like maybe you're a painter you hate the city. You don't like cosmopolitanism. You want to live in the woods, but you also want to show in the gallery. So like you have to incentivize the gallerists who don't like leaving uh, the cosmopolitan confines of major cities. You have to incentivize them to come out to you. So like, that's difficult. It's like, you know, even like if I'm, you know, a, an up and coming artist. If I have a studio in the South Bronx, you think that like Gagosian wants to come hang out in the South Bronx, even like, it's like, no, they don't. So you, you really have to, if, if you want to have the luxury of not living in an art capital, then you have to have, you have to orchestrate it. Like you have to have your work be so desired that people will take the plane to the middle of nowhere or will drive to the middle of nowhere to do a studio visit with you. So on and so right. forth. If you're starting out that way, it's a lot more difficult. Absolutely. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. Right. Are there any mainstream famous artists in the proper art world who you do admire and who are worth paying attention to? Um, in I mean, there are plenty of artists that I like, but I think particularly to cancel culture, you got to look at Jeff Koons. I know he's a, a four-letter four word to uh, freshman art students you know there's this sort of thing where like oh it's cool to hate on him because he's so rich and successful but when you look at his career like when you actually sit down and like look at what he's done he was um 
I guess he was like a securities trader or something like that early on. He was like, I need to make the work that I want to make and I can't let the market dictate that. So I need to get independently wealthy or like amass money in some sort of way so that I can just make what I need to make. And like, I don't have to listen to what's hot and I don't have to, you know, trend forecast or orient myself in that way. And he did that. And then he took over the market. And that's exactly the model that anyone who wants to sort of move past this very ugly, corrupt cancel culture needs to do. You need to not care. You need to attrition what you're doing and then you'll take over. Hell yeah. I'm absolutely counting on you now to replace Jeff Koons. <laughs> well, I don't know if, I don't know if I'll, I'll get to that level, but I mean, hopefully I can, hopefully I have the wherewithal to, you know, pull off what, what I want to or what I've been planning to. So that's really the, the only thing left. And I would, uh, I would sort of encourage anyone else that that feels that they, you know, that they're trapped in this sort of like gulag and they want to do, you know, what they set out to. A lot of times you, you meet these people, they want to be in academia, they've worked very diligently, they've put in all the effort and then some stupid thing happens and like, you know, it's not... It can't be that, oh, my whole life has been a waste. Now I can't make art anymore. You can't accept that. You need to like, you know, you need to do it, but you need to understand that it's going to require that much more from you. Yeah, for sure. But I think people also should be aware, though, that like when you take that leap to do what you want to do against all the odds, it's so fucking fun and exciting. It's like it's a, a totally new, weird, profound source of energy that you really might not even be aware of it existing. Like you might not even know that it exists. It might be a feeling that you literally don't even know until you kind of have the courage to just fucking pursue it and, and live like in that fashion, you, you get kind of swept away by a kind of intoxicating, motivating energy that, that I, I really try to constantly talk about because I didn't, you know, it's so easy to basically be kind of like so demobilized and demoralized right. and, and kind of like you feel it in your body. Like when, when you're working yeah. like a shitty job or you're like, you're trying to do art or intellectual work under some sort of like institutional umbrella, it's so easy to get beaten down and you just kind of like, it's boring. It's, it sucks. It's like you, you kind of dislike yourself, you know, you're kind of like doing shitty work and it's just alienating and oppressive that if you do that for several years, you can actually forget what it feels like to really be pursuing an authentic creative vision. Absolutely. And even if you're going to get punished for it, or even if there's a risk for it, the immediate kind of psychological and behavioral, uh, just pleasure and excitement and intoxication and motivation that you get from it is so amazing. Like it's so worth it. I, I try to always kind of like remind people of that because I think a lot of people forget. I felt that. I mean, like I, I've even caught myself a few times being like, wow, did I really like go for Like, I'm really like, you know, when you feel like you you have nothing to lose, like you can go for the jugular. Like when I had this uh, issue at Yale, I wrote, you know, I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm going to write an open letter. You know, the school newspaper printed this thing. It became another debacle. But like I wrote this like indignant, like very angry open letter. And I totally trashed the School of Art Dean. And I was like, wow, I really just trashed her in that letter. Like what's gotten into me? And you, you find this sort of power, you know, I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to try to impress any gallerists. I don't have to, you know, you don't have to try anymore. You can say, you know, you have the freedom to say whatever the fuck you want to act however you want. And I, you know, I like this version of myself much better than 
sort of the the person I was, or at least perceived to be when I was, you know, getting all the nice residencies in the castle and so on and so forth. Like now I just, I don't care about any of those perks. Like you cannot motivate me to, uh, to behave the way you want to with like things like that. Like now my appetite is, is so much larger. It's like, it's not enough that I get a, a grant or a residency and blah, blah, blah. I have to get those on my own terms. So in, in a way I'm, I'm stronger and better for it. You know, now that I, I have that and I'm Hell more yeah. and independent and I've become a real, like a bigger problem. You know, the thing about council culture is that they want to silence you, right? That's the, that's the purpose of doing it. They want to silence you and they want to make it so that your children starve. Well, the only thing you have to do is get louder. The more they try to uh, silence and, and suppress you and eventually they'll stop. I think. Hell yeah. Also, you said something really important before, which is that money talks and money talks louder than like other cultural bullshit. And I yep. think it's so true. Like what's funny about that is that I think for true artists and intellectuals, money actually doesn't mean that much. Like most of us are really, we genuinely are not motivated by money. Exactly. Uh, but- I, left, I left tech. I had a salary job. I left tech to uh, have, uh, to choose poverty. Like I chose poverty as a, as a choice, like in what I was doing to right. you know, become an artist when I could have easily gotten, uh, had a nice, more comfortable life in tech or doing whatever. And yet for most people, especially or including people who are in the art scene or in the academic scene or whatever the case might be. The fact is not to sound like an elitist, but the fact is a majority of those people are not really artists or intellectuals. They're, they're, they're trying to get into a particular game. They want a career, they want status, they want money or whatever. Um, so the irony is that like the true artists and intellectuals and any epoch are, are actually not very motivated by money, but what happens, power, yeah what happens is that the 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 mass or the herd or whatever you want to call it they are essentially motivated by money so what happens is that if you really don't give a fuck and you just do your own thing and it's like explosively original and dangerous and therefore attracts the attention that it deserves what happens is that starts making money and then what happens is all of the herd change their tune to go in to go in line with like what you're doing i think that that is, that happens over and over again throughout history and and not just money, like uh, any sort of capital, human capital, you know, trendiness, clout, whatever you want to call it. It happens not just money. It's like all this sort of stuff. You know, I, I remembered in the midst of my cancellation, I posted something to Instagram that was just too funny or too cool. And it got a lot of likes. And then I started to notice that the people that had really like given me the cold shoulder, you know, they started to like also like the photo because it had net 400 likes. You know, this is the way that people think. It's yeah. it's unfortunate, but you know. It's unfortunate, but then again, when you start to see through it for what it is, when you when you really understand what the underlying model is, is that it, it's actually kind of fun and exciting because yeah. if, if as long as you have like the courage of of your own convictions, you start to see how the game how how like the underlying model works. Right. And then you can really start to play it. You can start to game it in a, in a more confident and and fear more fearless way. I yeah, think absolutely. Absolutely. Like um, I I feel like a lot less I feel more sort of emboldened. You know, this is a word that you know that I was emboldened or that I was an entryist or whatever. I do feel more emboldened to say whatever the fuck I want to say, less so than ever because of the sort of thing, you know. It it 
it gives you, it does give you the sort of like a, a confidence and a, a mandate really, you know, to be yourself. That's right. And you made a good point before about how, I mean, once you have nothing to lose, like once you get canceled you essentially have nothing to lose. And when you have nothing to lose it, all of the incentives for you are in the direction of just be yourself, do the thing you want to do to the max. Like that's all that's left to do is to do what you want, but do it full throttle now that you don't have to worry about anything. Perfect for an artist. You know, it's really perfect. You just have to, you know, it's, it's hard because you do sort of have to be well-rounded and you kind of have to do everything yourself to some extent, you know, you can't, it's, it's, it's going to be so much harder if you're like, you know, like you're canceled, you're like an artist who's poor and you're not on top of your shit. Like you need to sort of, to some extent, get organized. And that's not necessarily a trait that artists have. And it's not necessarily one that good artists have. So hopefully like, I want this stuff to clear away because I I do think it limits, you know, not everyone is as crazy as me. Like not everyone is as indignant as I am and like, can like, you know, like is so angry and motivated by the stuff. Like maybe some artists, you know, do have good art or they're worthwhile, uh, but they're not necessarily, they don't have the, what it takes to like have to do this whole thing by themselves. They might even be, you know, put down or I don't know, go into another industry. So yeah, well put, well put. So we're coming up on two hours now. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, Are there, are there, are there any other, factoids about your your near or distant future plans that you would like to share with us maybe give us some foreshadowing of what to expect from you or um there's going to be a show sometime i don't want to give away any details because it's like really early in the development of it there's going to be a show a group show i'll be in it uh it's going to maybe happen end of year ish it'll be in america and i never ever even before i was like canceled i don't you know, I wasn't getting a lot of opportunities to show my work in America. I was very popular in Europe for some time, but like not here. So I'm excited to have uh, a U.S. show. I'm going to do this podcast. I don't know if it'll be good. I mean, painters often, you know, they suck at other things. They, they don't understand theory. They're, I don't know if you've, you've seen them in government, you know, painters. George W. Bush, Hitler, not the great, (laughs) you know, the kind of, you know, it's funny also because people are always like, oh, let's get the artist's opinion on so-and-so thing. And I think a lot of like who I am comes from, you know, or who I was perceived to be comes from this idea of, oh, let's get an artist to like comment on geopolitical stuff or like, let's get an artist to like talk about, you know, a technology startup. And it's like, these people don't know anything. Like they're literally like, they're like stupid, like people like, you know, like painting or doing some like useless, unskilled task, you know, like why would they have any insight on politics or like anything else for the matter? These people don't do anything. They look at the world. Sure. But that's very like, that's like grasping at straws. Like they don't really, they're not experts. So a lot of that, you know, it's like panel discussion on artists and you have this whole culture where artists are now like, you know, unwitting experts and we're in fields that have nothing to do with them. So right, climate change. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. So like I'll, I'll talk about like on Red Scare, I talked about climate change and it was like a like a big sort of ordeal. And it doesn't matter what I say. The, the question in all this is who cares what artists think about climate change? Like that's my whole <laughs> like that's my whole point. So. You know, I'm right. not a climate scientist. I don't, you know, I don't know. Just Real that- quick, just, 
just to yeah. go way back to the beginning of the conversation, a question I wanted to ask you, but forgot was, um, do you, you said your parents are both immigrants. I'm just curious what countries did they come from? Uh, well, my dad's, uh, passed away when I was younger. Um, my dad came from Hungary, um, during, he was like a lot older than my mother. So he came okay, I'm sorry. during the revolution, like in 56 ish. Huh. I mean, not maybe it was like later in the sixties he came over and then my mother came from Cuba during huh. the uh, missile crisis. I was talking about this earlier with, with regards to, you know, another thing is like, Oh, I'm, you know, against refugees on top, you know, I'm Jewish anti-Semite. I'm, I'm, ha- I'm like uh, of Jewish and Catholic background. Jewish anti-Semite and like anti-refugee, like my parents being communist country refugees, all this like horrible stuff, like ridiculous. Um, Yeah. Like, yeah. So they both came from their respective countries and met here and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Cool. Cool. Uh, Yeah. That, that makes sense. I think your, your kind of ethnic and political kind of uh, background there. You make me think of um, one of my faves is uh, Simone Veil. Do you know who she is? Mm. She was a French philo- she was a French philosopher, and um, yeah, it's probably the best way to put it. But she was she was quite revolutionary. You know, she was an anarchist, um, but a Catholic also, and she not formally a Catholic, but she was pretty much a Catholic. And she, but she was Jewish, so she she was born Jewish, then became very Catholic uh, in mm. her orientation and in her philosophy. She was extremely kind of somewhat mystical in her in her thinking and uh she kind of slightly is a bit of a stretch but um kind of is reminiscent of you visually like you i could since you said that you were catholic and jewish you made me think of that and then i'm like oh you know what actually i mean you know uh there's there's not there's a little something <laughs> there but uh she was she was cool she was a badass she like i yeah. look her up definitely um but she wasn't hungarian or cuban uh but i i also think you that are, there's a that few are both of those that's right that's a that's a unique that's a unique combination um but i do think that there's something to the fact of there being some sort of relationship between kind of like strange uh ethnic mixes and kind of like radical or or creative like artistic politics or whatever um i think like the fact that you know if you come from this sort of like obscure ancestry you start to see a lot of the collectivist you know woke identity politics stuff as very as as bizarre as they really are it's like i i can't be you know i i can't form an affinity group with uh finno right. caribbean people because there aren't any so it's like oh like right. you know this sort of ethnic narcissism becomes so apparent to you right away when you you know when you're from this background and you understand how absurd that sort of thinking is because it's because you're one of these sort of like exceptions and like it's not across the board that like everyone belongs in some sort of like affinity group or they can you know unionize with the rest of the people like them some people are just so obscure and like weird and like come from like weird circumstances that like right away when you see that it's like what like this that's like stupid it's bad thing. yeah exactly if, if if you have some sort of weird like ethnic composition then you don't readily identify with already existing groups i think is the right. is the underlying factor and so you're just a little bit more likely to have some sort of really idiosyncratic independent take yeah. on things possibly and this is just like a folk theory but yeah 
Right. Like people are always like, oh, visibility of blah, blah, blah group in the art world. I'm like, okay, what about Cuban Hungarian visibility in the art world? You know, <laughs> it's like. Definitely. It's and like, I'm just, I'm just like a pretty normie uh, Irish American uh, from a Catholic family, but even that, honestly, like I don't talk about this ever because it just sounds ridiculous. But like I lived in England for almost six years. And I mean, the like Catholics are are an oppressed minority in England, straight yeah, up. I mean, definitely. It, in the U.S. as well, definitely, at least for if not now, then for some time, definitely. Yeah. Or actually, I'm just remembering there was this thing passed around online a few weeks ago or whatever, but it was kind of striking. I think it was just a bit of a goof, but I think there was a kernel of truth into it in some regard. And it, it was basically this like taxonomy or or categorization of kind of edgy, whatever, like canceled people or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and it was basically making the case that like all of them have some, that all of them are off white in one way or another. And <laughs> I, I started thinking about that. Like I was on it. Anna Kachian was on it. I forget if you were on it. You probably were, you might've been. Um, but like, I think I was put in the same group with Angela Nagel and, and like in a weird way, Irish people are this kind of weird off white kind of group. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's sort of interesting. Uh, I, there was a point um, in my cancellation where, you know, uh, people who I didn't know were were picking up, you know, the the cause of destroying, you know, making me feel bad, destroying my reputation. Like there was a point, you know, in their PC language, they uh, didn't know how to refer to me. They, they didn't necessarily, they knew that they couldn't refer to me as white or that that was not or they didn't know my ancestry. So there was like ambiguity. So they started using all these like, rather than positive, this sort of like negative terms, like non-black or like non-blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, you know, grasping at straws again, because they want to sort of put me in the white privilege box, but I actually don't fit that box. So let's, you know, let's change the dimensions of the box to, to fit her in. So there's this kind of thinking. So, I would, you know, there would be, these sort of comments like, oh, this non blah, blah, blah person. And it just like at face value sounds so stupid because it's like, oh, I'm non so-and-so, but what am I? You know, it's like, you can't make a shortcut by negation. You can't use these like these uh, language tricks to, you know, get around it because people will be keen on that. And, and people like me, you know, I'm definitely paying attention to language. And like, I definitely, you know, um, right. will pick up on, on, how they try to skew that or how they, you know, they use spin essentially it's spin is what it is to try to attack people. Right. Right. I think it's just weird to note how the whole kind of diversity and multiculturalism thing is in a weird way. It seems to be like all to the glory of like white American Protestants, essentially like those, those are the people who seem to be like benefiting the most from it is is my impression. I mean, they want so badly because of my ideas, the way that I think my approach, they want so badly for me to be a white Mayflower coming to America on the Mayflower evil, whatever wasp, I don't know, whatever villain they would sort of envision. But the fact of the matter is, is that nine out of 10 times the people that are trying to cancel me or calling me anti-Semite or whatever are those exact people, you know, that grew up in a gated community, wish they had the multicultural experience I had of going to public school in Manhattan and actually living that. And they, they, they're so angry that, you know, being a refugee, being a woman, all the, basically all the criteria that makes up that like someone they should pity has 
and I don't fit their ideological mold. And that's a problem. It's like, fuck, you know, this is the kind of person, first generation American, like immigrant refugee parents grew up poor, like, you know, in, in Harlem, whatever. I, I check off all the victim criteria, maybe not all of them, but I'm pretty, you know, identity wise, I'm pretty up there. And like, I, I don't conform. And it's like, they say they want independent thinking, you know, empowered minorities or, you know, disenfranchised people, but they don't, you know, the, the worst offense is that granted my, my life experience that I, I come out and I say you're wrong and that, you know, and not only that, like, what you're promoting hurts the people that you're trying to, that you claim to want to help often. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been super fun. I I could talk with you all night, but I don't want to overtax you or take up too much of your time. So I feel like, um, I mostly just want to thank you for coming on to hang out with me. I think you're really cool. Honestly. I mean, I don't know you that well, but from talking with you for two hours, I think you're totally cool. And, uh, I think you're, I'm totally a great person. I I, I have no, I have no I, reason to doubt that, uh, that I've come across I yet. That, uh, I think it's worth it to be a good person, to be a genuine person, to not lie, to get ahead. I think I believe in being good. And I think, and I have an unwavering faith in good prevailing and that you need to have that if you want to, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Hell yeah. Well, I said before that I feel like, you know, when you encounter someone who is the real deal, it's pretty obvious and pretty clear right away. And I feel like I definitely put you in the camp of what I consider to be the real deal. Like you seem to be just an authentic, genuine kind of artist and creative free speaking person who just is incapable of containing yourself probably for other people's rules or regulations or whatever. And I think that comes through pretty clearly in a one-on-one talk with you. So, um, yeah, I hope that like, if people Google you, like, I hope that this talk now comes up to the top because I think I, I, like, I tried to find out about your story. I tried to get a feel for who you are. And well, the problem, the problem with what they do is like, essentially they put a tax on free speech. So like, if I want to speak freely, I better have enough money to pay like a bunch of SEO optimization people in Pakistan or in some other like offshore place to like pay them to like bury my dirty links or whatever. It's not that it's impossible. It's that it's an additional cost. We, we shouldn't have a tax on free speech. Like right. our constitution, like we're, that's our God given right to or, or. Americans. I mean, Luke Turner is not a, a lot of these cancel culture people. A lot of them are British, honestly. And they're, they're, they're encroaching on my right to talk about my country's politics. It's like, I'm sorry, mind your own Brexit. Like they don't have to. <laughs> yeah. They're Protestants. They're Protestants. I'm telling you, Protestants yeah. are at the bottom of all of this. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, no, I, and you're totally right. Um, you have to kind of like do some sort of crazy SEO strategy if you want like your Google results to be reflective of who you are or, or Deanna, you need to have, uh, some friend somewhere with a like slightly internet famous, uh, YouTube live stream podcast. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that like in a week, I'm very hopeful that in a week when you search Deanna Havis, this video will be upwards towards the top. Uh, I think it should be because I think there's not that much stuff about you out there and it's not that influential in terms of it's like web authority. So I'm hopeful that if people share this and if people like this, um, this will rise close to the top, at least maybe the top. And uh, I I think like asking me what happened, which, you know, in the span, it's been several years now, not not one person has been like, oh, you know, we're writing this thing. Can you make a comment or not one person has been like, oh, like I'm concerned about your beliefs can you like articulate them to me like i'm getting the impression that you're a bigoted evil person like i, I just want to like 
you know, judge for myself. Like if someone approached me that way, I would be like, let me like break it down for you. Like this is what happened. But like people don't care. They don't do their due diligence and they don't do it when they're in, um, you know, when they're the dean of the school of art or like someone in a, in a place where they should by virtue of their profession, do their due diligence. So absolutely. Yeah. And that's like one of the things that I'm trying to do, not even out of like some sort of service or, or right. altruism, but it's because I'm genuinely interested in what's really happening beneath these stories you hear about. Um, I'm just interested in like judging for myself and, and seeing what's really going on with people such as you. Um, but I think in your case in particular, like it was really difficult to even like I searched, I, I tried pretty hard actually to try to get to grok like what your story was and, and there's just not really anything out there, but I'm really happy that now there is that at least this talk. I had a chance to sort of uh, break everything down. I hope that um, people curious about what happened to me or like everything will, we'll take a look at this before, you know, all the nasty stuff. Eventually, you know, I've definitely like a lot of these publications literally have libeled me, like literally have broken the law. It's just like, I don't have the resources right now to bring, you know, these sort of cases that I would like to against certain publications. I actually did have a sort of, uh, there was a something in the New York times where there was a story, it wasn't about me or it didn't have anything to do with me. And then they sort of like cited me in it and, and showed me in an, uh, an unfavorable light and said things about me that they couldn't corroborate. So I wrote the New York Times. I was like, you need to take me out of this article because like you can't corroborate this sort of stuff that you, the claims you made about me and I'm going to sue. And they, they uh, you know, this was my David and Goliath moment. And I, you know, and they uh, agreed and they pulled me from the story. And I was like, wow, okay. You know, not everyone is going to be, uh, it's it's not always going to be the case that, that that will happen. It just, I got lucky in this sort of uh, regard, but like the rest of them, you know, if people are defaming you, like you should send them a cease and desist. So I would like to, this is like, after I paid for the SEO optimization and, you know, wherever, like I would like to, you know, be compensated for the damages that I've, you know, experienced. I think that when you, you know, you defame people with the intent of ruining their reputation, we have laws against that. And like, I have had, you know, like I have endured damages and eventually I would like to be uh, compensated for them like anyone else who's defamed. So that's a, a goal in, in the long run. And, and, Another thing for anyone doing council involved in anything council culture related, keep in mind what your rights are. You know, you, you do have the right, you have the right to free speech. If you're an American, you have the right to, um, to seek, um, to, uh, seek remedy for, uh, defamation and libel if you're, if you're libel. And, and that's the, you know, that's the case in a lot of Commonwealth countries. So, uh, know your rights, I guess. Hell yeah. Well put. That's a that's as good a ending note as any. Unless there was anything else you wanted to get on the record or uh, parts of your story that you didn't get to talk about or whatever. Um, I feel like this was a pretty comprehensive talk. Yeah, definitely. I think that's it. I just want to add too, if if anyone else like has any sort of similar issues or like wants to talk in in length about it with me, like please feel free to email me if anyone's giving you a hard time, especially if it's art related stuff, I do actually, uh, um, I've been doing it for so long that I, I do know people and I know how things work. So definitely like if someone's giving you a hard time, like definitely hit me up. Uh, don't feel hesitant to contact me about any of 
of this sort of stuff. I'm very, I'm always down to chat. So that's awesome of you. That's really cool. By the way, I just had to switch out my camera because my battery was dying. Cause this is a long right. talk. I'll but let you, I, you go. No, no, it's fine. I, I actually did that surprisingly gracefully with putting you in the f- foreground and I just changed it over. So I'm fine now. We're all good. I switched my camera out. You can barely tell. Um, I, I think what you just said is really, really cool, Deanna, and really important. Like there are tons of people who are like really not well known. Maybe they're much younger and there are lots of people out there who are just terrified of getting yeah. into, getting into some kind of trouble and they don't know what to do. And they're just kind of, I know for a lot of people, it's a real like creative inhibitor. Like they're, they're unable to do stuff like, uh, because they're just, a, they, they don't know what they're going to get punished for. So it's really, really paralyzing. And, um, I think that's really cool that you offered that Deanna. I think anyone out there listening to this, um, it's yeah. really traumatic. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the world does turn its, or it feels like the world turns its back on you and that can, it's damaging. It hurts and it, it's alienating. And like, you know, if I can help someone not feel that way, just by, you know, the fact that, I've experienced it, then that makes everything a little bit better. It, it, it gives, gives some purpose to the suffering I've endured or something like that. I don't know. It, no, just I, like- I know exactly what you mean. I love getting emails from people who like, if there's anything I can do to kind of, I don't know, like support someone psychologically or give them some sort of advice or anything, even just like, you know, tell you that you're not as crazy as people think you are, whatever. Like, I love getting those types of requests and I'm happy to do that also. I think it's really cool of you, Deanna, that you offered that. And I would just encourage like people listening to this, like take, take her up on this. Like, if, especially if you're in the art world or something like that and you like need help with navigating that or whatever, like this, I'm not, this show is not that big that like you're, you're not going to get inundated with emails. You know, you might get like two or three, maybe. So, so don't, people, you should not be shy. Like reach out to people. Um, and, and also for people like you and I, like, you know, the cancel culture people, they do this, you know, it's horrible. They, they, they want to ostracize people. It's not, a, it's like, we're supposed to believe this is a community or something. It's not, it's like a bunch of people at each other's throats. Like it's a cartel. I think I would call it. Exactly. exactly. And, and to be a good actual community, you have to be encouraging. You have to be nurturing. You can't rule with fear. So, you know, that stuff is important and it does make a difference in people's lives. So definitely like, don't feel shy. Uh, Twitter, I don't always get DMs all the time, but like shoot me an email or like tweet at me. I'll give you my email, whatever. Just hit me up anytime. Awesome. Um, yeah. On Twitter, that's public, right? Your name yeah. is yeah, yeah. at real Deanna Havis, right? Yeah. That's me. Awesome. My yeah. Friend, um, uh, they, they stole and they uh, booked Mark saying, writing nasty stuff about me when I quit Twitter uh, on behalf of the gallery to focus on the show you know they're really nasty of course twitter is not taking it down even though it violates the whatever but you can you know it's easy to find me hit me up for anything and right on that's awesome well uh personally it was a pleasure talking with you i think you're really cool this was interesting yeah that was a good fight you too and let's stay in touch for sure definitely all right see best, you. best of luck with everything i'll see you around the internet for sure later Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.